Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It ain't the left side or the right side. And it must be the fence side. Thank you, Solo D. Welcome to another episode of On the Fence Side here with Kat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Also check out our Twitter pages as well. I'm Brian Cat NFL, and Paul is fanatic underscore pick. So here we are now. I can definitely say this was the most entertaining and controversial week before the start of the Dolphins week one uh, here in 2019. We've got a blockbuster trade where the Dolphins go from here, how it sets them up for the future with this trade, as well as going down position by position for the Dolphins' 53-man roster. A lot of things are changing, a lot of moving parts right now. But obviously the big news of the day and the big news of the week and maybe the year too, Laramie Tunzel on the move. Uh, The trade ends up being, when we take a look at this, the Dolphins are going to receive – first-round picks in 2020 and 2021. They'll also receive a second-round pick in 2021. They also get two other players, left tackle Julian Davenport, as well as defensive back and special teamer Jonathan Batamosi. In exchange, the Texans receive a fourth-round pick, a sixth-round pick, as well as Tunzel and wide receiver Kenny Still. So, Paul, to start off here, you know, in fact, we talked about this on the show last week. The hypothetical question we talked about was this, that if Laramie Tunzel were available for two first-round picks, would you do it? And both of our answer was no. Mine was an overwhelming no at the time, and yours was still a no. turned out to be a little bit more than that. So what was your reaction to the trade? I hate losing Tunzel. Uh, let me say that first and foremost. I know leading up to the draft, when Miami drafted him, he was the one player that I constantly talked about I would move up for. He was the one player that once he got to about seven or eight, I was pounding the table, screaming to move up to get. Um, but you know what? This sets Miami up a little bit poorly for this year. It sets Rosen up for uh, a concussion protocol. but this helps set the table for Miami to do the quick turnaround and no individual player is worth middling about in the middle for ages, which we're all sick of at this point. We're sick of seven and nine, eight and eight, you know, and to get better in a hurry, you have to make a few sacrifices and Miami is positioned so well over the next two years to catapult themselves forward that as much as I hate losing Tunsil, this trade was worthwhile because it lets Miami as an organization position themselves to catapult forward. Looking at their draft picks now, in 2020, they're going to have an extra first-round pick from the Texans. They're going to have an extra second-round pick from the Saints. And they're expected to have a third-round compensatory pick for Juwan James, too. 
And then in 2021, they're expected to have an extra first-round pick and an extra second-round pick. So over the next two years, you're talking about four first-round picks, four second-round picks, and three third-round picks. So this brings to mind just a couple of dueling, closely-held beliefs that I have about the NFL. And some are good, some are bad in relation to this trade. Number one, one thing that I do believe very strongly is that once you set a culture that it's okay to lose, and I think that's what the Dolphins are kind of doing here, that it's okay to lose, that we're not going to resign, we're not going to take care of the players that do well for us, we're going to trade them off for more draft assets. We saw in Cleveland that can go on for a while. And it can go on for six or seven years, and that's the risk involved here. Uh, because because once you say set that president that it's okay to lose, it's hard to get that stink out of the carpet, and that's my biggest concern with this trade. On the other side of it, I'm also a very strong believer too that in the NFL draft, it is about quantity, not quality, because the quality is not guaranteed. And the reality is a lot of times when you're in this situation and you've got four first rounders and four second rounders and three third rounders over a span of two years, just by the sheer quantity of that, it's really difficult to miss on not only all of those, but the majority of those. And and it's more than likely, especially when expecting to have two picks very high in those, the first round of those two years, you know, it's it's really hard to mess up all those picks. So the Dolphins really set themselves up with very good draft capital here. Now, I'm going to go back to something you just said. I, I'm going to say that the Dolphins are taking care of their own. I mean, you look at the Jakeem Grant extension. You look at the fact that they're working with a lot of their young players, the Xavier Howard extension. They're finally taking care of their own. But I think in this case, the offer was just too damn good to pass up as far as, as Tunsil goes. I mean, I've heard, living in New England, I've heard fans talking, liter- literally talking over the years about if a team offered two first-round picks for Brady, they'd consider it. I'm not saying that that's, you know, good or bad, but I'm just saying to put it into context for folks. And, you know, it, it's Miami has positioned themselves in such a way, and I tweeted this out last week, Chris Greer, in particular, has positioned this team so well for that catapult forward because not only has he set himself up to be able to draft the hell out of out of the NFL draft over the next two years, which he has shown propensity to hit more than he misses so far, that they've also got you know a ridiculous amount of cap space over the next two years. So I do expect to see them continue to take care of their own, but also be able to to go out and and get guys that fit the needs that this team has as well. So, I mean, they're in an amazing position over the next two years to retool this roster, both with young ascending veterans and through the draft. I'll tell you, I've never seen a trade like this with the compensation for a non-quarterback. I mean, you really have to go back to 1989 with Herschel Walker, where it was three first-rounders and three second-rounders. I mean, historically, 
the you know back in 2000 the the Jets traded Keyshawn to the the Bucks for two first rounders. We were part of a trade where the Saints sent two first rounders to the Dolph or the Dolphins sent two first rounders to the Saints for Ricky Williams. Darrell Rivas went for a first and a fourth round pick. Um, so you and you look at all three of those situations and the team that ended up getting the draft picks was was the team that won. Um, so if you believe that. Laramie Tunzel is a top 10 left tackle. He's good, but not great. I expect any Dolphins fan to be elated with this trade. And even if you think he is really, really good, then I expect any Dolphins fan to be elated with this trade as well. The way I look at it here, if I had a choice, my choice would have been this from the beginning of the offseason. Resign and extend Laramie Tunzel. Resign and extend Juwan James. And have Josh Rosen as the starting quarterback. And then next year, you're still going to have over $80 million in cap room. You're going, to have, you're going to know about Josh Rosen one way or another. And you're still going to have an extra second, fifth, sixth, and seventh rounder in the 2020 draft. Personally, that's the direction I would have gone in. And it's still the direction I, I, I would have preferred that the team go in, too. But historically, it's hard to argue with so many of these draft picks. Completely, and and they're really positioned well for, say, they get Rosen in and he doesn't work out, or they don't believe he's developing like he should be, which, you know, he's shown a lot of positive signs in preseason. But say they make the decision this year that he doesn't. They can go up and get Tua. They might already be in position to get Tua. They might be able to get Tua in a left tackle. They might be able to get Justin Herbert in a left tackle. They might be able to get, you know, like, there, there are so many scenarios. And if they haven't made their decision on Rosen yet, they can restock around him to be able to better make that decision next year and then still be in a position where they can move up and go after, say, Fromm uh, in, in 2021 or, or one of a number of other quarterbacks that, that you know you may have heard of yet, you may not have. So they've set themselves basically where Chris Greer can do almost anything he wants uh, so long as he can find a partner, which – He's got the ammunition to do so. If the uh, if what they were looking to do it was to get a franchise quarterback, the odds are very very much in their favor of getting one. I mean, whether it's Rosen, like you said, and and building all those draft picks around him, I don't think that's what's going to happen. But uh, or if it's Tua, or if it's Trevor Lawrence in 2020, 2021, they have the draft capital to be able to make any of that that work. The depressing thing is over the next two years, what they can't do is F it up by winning football games. And I, I'm not quite sure if that's even going to be an issue. So, you know, it's it's really one giant step back to go two giant steps forward. That That's the way that we got to look at this team right now. Because in my, in my opinion right now, when I look at the Dolphins, this is the worst roster talent-wise in the NFL, and it's not even close. I, I look at teams like the Bengals, the Redskins, the Giants, who before, you know, maybe a month ago I was putting in that in that category, and I, I, I don't even think it's close at this point. So this year right now, the Dolphins have the youngest team in the NFL, too, by a long margin. And what factors into that, too, is they – they got a couple of players here. Left tackle, they acquired Julian Davenport. This is an interesting guy because he's clearly the reason the Texans 
prioritize left tackle so heavily. He was their left tackle last year. He was not good, to say the least. He was one of the worst-rated players by Pro Football Focus. But the good thing about him, too, is in the encouraging thing, this guy came from the University of Bucknell. He was the first player drafted there in 48 years, and he was a fourth-round pick. And his best two games of the season were his last two games of the season, one of which was a playoff game against the Indianapolis Colts. I watched those last two games, and I thought, you know, this guy's very tall. He's very lanky. He needs to add some weight. He, he's clearly a project still at this point. But I would much rather have a player like that at left tackle than what we've seen with Jordan Mills and Zach Stirrup, two players who, frankly, we already know are terrible. Agreed. And the other thing you can't overlook here, too, is Jonathan Batamosi. Uh, he played for Flores in the past. He played up in New England. Flores is very familiar with him. He was already one of the best special teamers in the NFL, hands down. Uh, come you know a, a few seasons ago coming in and then he played very well at corner not not elite but Miami ha- now has a special teams ace that can also play in the secondary the guy that needs to watch his back now at this point and I wouldn't be shocked if the Dolphins managed to flip him for a late round pick because he is a good special teamer is Walt Akins because Miami traded for two very good special teamers over the weekend in Batamosi, and then with the Kiko trade we haven't touched on yet in Vince Beagle. Yeah, so they're, it looks like they're tooling up their special teams. And Batamosi is a player that I've wanted to get cut for a long time here. Uh, you know, he was with the Texans, he was with the Patriots, he was with the Lions, is regarded as one of the best special teamers in the league. And when he's gotten on the field as a cornerback, like you said, he, he's also played pretty well. So we might see him as the sixth or seventh defensive back on this roster. He's 29 years old, so one of the older players on the team right now. I mean, after John Denny was cut, uh, he might – trying to think if there's a, a player older on the team. Or well, Rashad Jones is, but other than that, I, I can't name more than a couple of players. What's that? Yeah, no, Fitzpat- Fitzpatrick's definitely got to be older at this point. Oh, but, Fitzpatrick, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're – yeah, they're, they're, the they're other thing players, I wanna... but not, not many yeah. now. Well, the other thing I like about Batamosi, too, is ever since his rookie year, one of the biggest reports on him is there is nobody that works harder and sets good habits, which is going to help set the tone for younger players. Because you've got a core special teamer that's in there. As a rookie, he was literally in the film room constantly taking notes, paying attention. Uh, he was in the weight room constantly not just during their assigned times, but any chance he got to be in that weight room, he was in the weight room. The guy was working from sunup to sundown every day on football. And that type of thing sets a great example for these 24 and younger players that are on the roster because there's a hell of a lot of those guys that need to see people that work their ass off to get better at their craft. And Batamosi's a good example uh, of the fact that you know, he was a guy that was a liability in the secondary when he came into the league, but he was an absolute phenomenal special teamer. And he he's worked on his craft so much that he's actually turned into a decent corner. So seeing guys like that that can work their ass off is going to be amazing for these young players to have around. Yeah, and I think the Dolphins are really prioritizing special teams here to – set set the franchise up to to really 
be able to be good, be good at at least something quickly and to set that, that tone. So they acquired Vince Beagle in the trade for Kiko Alonso. They got Batamosi. They've got Walt Aiken. So definitely a lot of special teams aces here to begin the season. Speaking of that, Kiko Alonso traded for Vince Beagle. You know, we, we've said all along that if we would take anything for Kiko, the Dolphins actually paid a million dollars to make this trade go through. Vince Beagle was drafted just a couple of years ago by the Packers in the fourth round. He, he's somebody that I liked heading into the draft. Not a, an extremely explosive player, but 6'3", 245, you know, 4740. So he, he's just just athletic enough, but uh, more right now of a special team assign, assignment sound type of guy. Uh, you know, he, we're talking about possibly him getting flipped to the Raiders or, or the 49ers, and there was talk about that too. Ends up going to the Saints uh, for linebacker Vincent Beagle. Yeah, and, and the thing with that trade that, that fans need to take into account, whether you're a Kiko fan or not, Kiko was not going to see the field very often, if at all. Kiko doesn't play special teams. Vince Beagle, while he may be the lesser athlete of the two, he's going to have a role on this team, whereas Kiko did not, unless there were a rash of injuries. And when you look at it like that, Miami unloaded Kiko, unloaded his contract, and got a player that's going to contribute right away out of the deal. So if you look at it in that regard, it was a good, solid trade for Miami. And, you know, one thing I want to go back to here real quick is you mentioned that the Dolphins have the worst roster in the league. They definitely have some very glaring holes. They filled a little bit with a couple of trades on the offensive line to hopefully help out, even though left tackle is obviously a glaring need here as we move forward. But really, you look at their running back stable. They've got five running backs right now that can be very good. Um, they've got a fullback that act, uh, surprised me in the preseason blocking, lead blocking like he was a water boy. You look at their wide receiver core, even minus Kenny Stills. They've got a potential number one in Preston Williams, a potential number one in Devontae Parker, if he can ever figure his stuff out. And then you've got some explosive chess pieces in guys like Jaheim Grant, Albert Wilson, et cetera. So, I mean, they've, they've really got a lot of the skill positions. You look at the defensive side of the ball, pass rusher is a little bit of a question mark. But I will say, too, Vince Beagle, his one skill on defense is he's very good at rushing the passer. So he might have a contributing role off the edge. You know, you look at Jerome Baker and his ascension. You look at the middle of that defensive line with the defense, young defensive tackles they've got. And Miami's got a pretty damn good secondary. So I don't know if I'd say worst roster in the league, but they do have some glaring holes. Uh, but I don't know if they end up with the number one pick, even after all these trades. I'd be shocked if they didn't at this point. I mean, look, I think the biggest thing that this roster has going for itself is that so many of the players are unproven. And because I'm not sure the average age of this of this team, but it's somewhere around 24 and a half. And that Adam Beasley tweeted something out. I think the youngest roster in the league last year was 26. I mean, that's the biggest thing they've got going that we don't quite know yet about Char the Charles Harris's and the Mike Isikis, uh Devontae Parker's, you know, even in, in the players who have gotten off to a disappointing start in their career, they're going to get the snaps to make it right. And that that's what we have to look out for this year. But yeah, I, you know, the way that you described that there, you know, I don't, 
I don't think pass rush is a, is a little bit of a problem. I think it's completely absent from this roster. And at, when you look at wide receiver, yeah, Preston Williams showed a lot of promise in the preseason, but yeah, I, I think he has just the odds are just as much in his favor of being out of the league in five years than being a number one receiver. In fact, it's probably more in the odds of him not being a number one receiver. So, you know, it's, I just think Dolphins fans need to, need to watch their team in a little bit of a different way this year. You know, if, if you're expecting them to go in and, and roll people, it's just not going to happen. But then again, it wasn't going to happen anyway this year. I mean, that, you know, let's not blame people can be mad about the Tunzel trade if they want. They, they can be mad about Juwan James leaving as I am uh, in, in the off season. But the reality is here, this is not this regime's fault. This is years and years of very poor decisions by Mike Tannenbaum and Adam Gase, just trying to scrap together veteran players at overblown salaries that has put the Dolphins in the position that they were in the beginning of this offseason. It is. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be a little bit facetious here and, and have a little bit of fun with you on the air here, Kat. I'll tell you what, I will bet you a six-pack that – the Dolphins do not earn the number one pick next year. I'm not going to say it doesn't count if they trade uh, up to get it, but I will bet you a six pack that Miami does not earn the number one pick. I'll take that bet. All I, right. I, I think they and, will. I, 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 I'm going to say a one or two win season. Look, I, I just want them to win one game. That That's it. I, <laughs> You know, and I'll, I'll I'll take that bet, but you but you might be right very simply because you've got the other 31 teams, and we we've seen in the past that if a quarterback goes down for the year or there's a major injury or something messed up happens, that's a possibility. I mean, the Cardinals had the number one pick in the draft because their whole offensive line went down and their first two quarterbacks went down. Now they win three games with a first year head coach, um, and, and I think that could quite possibly happen if, let's say. Aaron Rodgers goes down for the year and you've got Tim Boyle starting a quarterback for the Packers all year. I mean, I think that's a possibility too. So, so, the, you know, it's, it's the other thing I want to throw in real, it's kind of win-win. Yeah. Agreed. It's the one thing I want to throw in here, and this is a desperate, desperate plea. And you brought this on yourself here. Miami's got all this draft capital over the next two years. They've got four first round picks. You know, they've got four second round picks, the three third round picks like we've already went through. For the love of all that is holy on this planet, would you not buy another jersey for a Dolphins player that exists ever? Just get one with your own name on it. Don't ever buy one again. I <laughs> see. I thought I actually broke, real. The, broke the trend because because the only uh, the only two current Dolphins jerseys I, I wore were Tunzel and. Uh, oh God! God help Minka Fitzpatrick. That's my other one. Now here, yeah, he's about to flip the shower. down the steps as we speak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, ton, so I get tons, and I think I'm on the right track there. But that is, and then, you know, I buy that in 2017. 2018, he switches his number from 67 to 78, and he was trying to get the following away from year, you. he switches teams. So, yeah, he, he yeah, was trying he, to get he, away he, from you, and it just didn't I, work. I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I saw. That that at certain points my that that jersey just mysteriously went downstairs, uh, and 
and just just got up and walked away. So, yeah, it, it, you know, I, I'm actually starting to think this thing is real. Uh, if if I didn't need enough evidence here before, so may, maybe I should just Rick, stick to getting getting Dolphins alumni here. Rachel, no, please, I, I don't I, I don't want any of my favorite ex players to die. I mean, let's let's face it. And, and Rachel, if you are listening, please, if Cat orders another jersey, intercept the package, write return to sender on it, and put it back outside when he is not home, please. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that's I, – I, I mean, I'm not sure what to do at this point anymore. So – Stop uh, ordering jerseys. Let's, let's move along here. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, actually, it's a pretty easy solution. Um <laughs> so, because yeah, uh, another player that would have been thought, thought would have been an easy buy would be John Denny. John Denny ends up getting cut. Long snapper. The first year he was in the league was tw- 2005. Nick Saban's first year here in Miami. Yeah, this uh, this yeah. cut just happened a few few minutes before we got on the air. So now the the Dolphins' average roster age goes down a bit. Not sure who their long snapper is going to be. They did have Wes Farnsworth in here too. So thank you, John Denny, for 15 years of service to the Miami Dolphins roster. You'll certainly be missed. We'll see who they get at long snapper. Yeah, no, and, and you couldn't ask for a more awesome human being. I know you and I got the opportunity to talk with John Denny a couple of times down in Miami, and, and what a good human being on top of being just a solid, solid contributor to this team for over a decade. Uh, best wishes to the whole Denny family. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I kind of half hope he catches on somewhere, half hope, he, half hope he was a dolphin lifer. But, you know, for his sake, if he wants to still continue yeah. playing, I hope he catches on somewhere. If he if he catches on somewhere, I'd like him to go go to the Saints with with Darren Rosie. Not sure what they got going on there at long snapper, but that would be nice. I mean, my the most amazing thing about him, I cannot recall him ever missing a snap except for one game where he where he missed two, and that was the game that was probably the best Dolphins win that we've seen in his tenure. That's when the Dolphins beat the Jets in the final week of the year. Where where the Dolphins won the division against the Jets and Brett Favre, he sent two over the head of the punter. And other than that, I, I can't ever recall a snap being out of place. He also was able to get downfield a lot after snapping the ball, which I think is the best trait of a long snapper, uh, along with not being able to send the ball over over the punter's head. So wish you well, John Denny. Let's get to the uh, rest of the roster here. You know, we were going to talk about who, who was right, who was wrong. Everybody was wrong with the Dolphins' 53-man roster because just over the last day or two, 11 of 53 roster spots have been overturned. So we'll, we'll talk about those in passing unit by unit. At quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen, no surprise there. Jake Rudock did, did get back on the practice squad. He's one of the four players who have been signed so far. No surprise there either. What was a surprise was the running back position. I mean, we were t- at one point. I think I had two running backs making the team, which were just uh, Drake and Balage, as well as the fullback Chandler Cox. So Drake and Balage are your top two guys. Mark Walton's third. Patrick Laird is fourth. Miles Gaskin is fifth. So, you know, what I do like about this, Paul, is if you're going to keep the best 53 guys on the roster, five of them are going to be running backs based on what we see saw in the preseason. They will. And the interesting thing there is you look at them having five running backs. 
they're not going to have five running backs active on game day. I think two of those guys, if they stick with the roster, because let's face it, who knows, as we're on the air recording here, I wouldn't be shocked to see one or two of those guys moved for a late round pick. Uh, but you know, you look at you look at this roster, and you can kind of guess that at least two running backs will probably be inactive on game days. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think the way what they're setting up here with Miles Gaskin and Laird is kind of what we saw with New England, where they, they always roster you know five, six running backs too, and they rotate them throughout the year. That way, these running backs are able to be kept fresh. But I think when you take a look at the roster and you see three tight ends, a fullback, and five running backs, I think what you're going to see here is to combat the offensive line's deficiencies, I think you're going to see a lot of those dump-off passes to running backs, a lot of chip blocks from tight ends and running backs to help offset that. So something that bears watching. At wide receiver, the Dolphins keep five. Devontae Parker, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Preston Williams, and Alan Hearns. A little bit of a surprise there with Alan Hearns. And while we're sticking here on the wide receiver unit, uh, Kenny Stills, obviously part of that Texans trade. We did not touch on that before. One major thing there is I always said that I don't think you can trade Kenny Stills because it would be a PR nightmare. But I'm glad this was sandwiched in in a blockbuster trade because that kind of controls the airwaves and the mainstream media a little bit. Thank you, Kenny Stills, for several years of very great service in the community. People have their opinion on, on what he did before the game, as well as his opinions on on Steve Ross and uh, as well as Jay-Z that we've talked about ad nauseum at, in, in the past. But Kenny Stills is off this roster. I think that had to happen too, Paul, because you got to get Jakeem Grant on the field a lot, and you've got to get Preston Williams on the field too. And not just those two, but you've really got to get Albert Wilson on the field. And, you know, you've got to figure out over the next year or two whether or not Devontae Parker's ever going to take that step. And I don't believe he will at this point. I think he'll have a couple of great games when he's in a backup role, but the second he gets a starter role, it's like he gets fat, dumb, and stupid. Uh, and, yeah, I know I said dumb and stupid, but you watch his play and you'll agree. It, it's, you know, he has literally – an elite game or two when he gets his chance coming out of that backup role. And then he just goes to hell and is terrible. And that's just not something Flores will tolerate. So you got to see what you got there. And Alan Hearns, he exists. So, you know, yep. Yep. If he's there, he's there. That's all you can say about Alan Hearns at this point. I mean, I guess there was an agreement that he was going to make the roster as soon as he walked in the building. You know, he, this is a guy who, signed a four-year, $40 million contract just a couple of years ago, has had some injury problems, had that gruesome injury in the playoff game last year. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, as far as uh, taking a look at, yeah, Albert Wilson is coming back from that injury. But what I do like about the Devontae Parker situation is obviously he still has high upside. I think it's important that this coaching staff gives up trying to turn this guy into a complete receiver because last year he was targeted three times down the field. He came away with one of them. He, he was interfered with on another. And then the third one was a missed throw. Get this guy, the ball yards down the field and hope that he comes away with it instead of trying to you know, run him on five and 10 yard routes all the time. That, that doesn't make sense at all. So 
Also, Isaiah Ford is on back on the practice squad. I'm glad we were able to keep him. I was a little bummed that he didn't make the 53-man roster. Should be a quick call-up here if there's any injury problems with him. Also, too, Paul, to get another player you need to get get on the field just to see what he has is, is Mike Kosicki. And he's not a pure tight end. I think you're going to see him in a lot of two tight end looks. The Dolphins end up keeping three tight ends. They cut Dwayne Allen. Chris Myrick, the undrafted free agent, actually ended up making the 53-man roster, but then was cut. Uh, we should expect to see him get a call for the practice squad as well. But right now you've got three tight ends, Nick O'Leary, Mike Gusecki, and Durham Smythe. Yeah, and I really still love what I, what I see out of O'Leary. He definitely bulked up this offseason. And Gasicki finally flashed a little bit when being used appropriately in, in the preseason this year. So, it could be an interesting year for him, at least as far as being a receiving threat. But, yeah, I have to imagine that they're going to use Durham Smythe or Nick O'Leary quite a bit to cover up the left tackle issue. Um, you know, it, it's they're going to need the help on that side of the ball to protect the blind side. Something I saw years ago when the, when Tony Sperano was in town, no, no surprise on, on this one, and may Sperano rest in peace. Still, still love the guy. hope his family's doing well. The, is that what they they used to do a lot is use this off-center offensive line. I'm not sure the exact terminology, but basically having six offensive linemen uh, with one of them being a tight end. And I hope they see a lot of those looks with O'Leary and Smythe being on the field often. That you know, And I think you kind of have to on that to help offset the offensive line. And, man, this offensive line. I don't think I've ever seen a on paper before the year a worse unit. <laughs> but then again, everybody's unproven. I mean, you've got nine offensive linemen on the roster, seven of which weren't here last year. So as it stands, it looks like the week one lineup is going to be Julian Davenport at left tackle. I don't think he even has a, a jersey number yet. Left guard, you're going to have Michael Dieter. Center, Daniel Kilgore. Right guard, Shaq Calhoun. Right tackle, Jesse Davis. And then behind him, and with the depth, they're going to have Chris Reed, who did play very well this preseason at center and guard. Isaiah Prince, and then two players we haven't brought up yet, Paul, and, and these are these are two types of trades I really like because the Dolphins sent a, a conditional seventh rounder to the Vikings and to the Indianapolis Colts for center Evan Bame and guard Danny Isadora. Evan Bame was a fourth-round pick of the Arizona Cardinals a few years ago, a player I've seen a lot at Mizzou. He's the only player in Mizzou history to – to start 52 games for them. He played center and guard. He's a player I wanted in the 2016 NFL draft. Or was it 2017? I'm not quite sure, but the Dolphins didn't quite get him. Uh, but he, not a great athlete, but a player that just flat out did his job at Mizzou. And he can play center, he can play guard, and has gotten better every year since he was in the league. I mean, it was not good for him in the beginning in Arizona. But last year he filled in for in a couple of games for Ryan Kelly, did a serviceable job. So that that's good. I'm not a big fan of Danny Isadora. He's undersized. He's about 6'2", 305. I saw him getting pushed around a lot at Miami as well in Minnesota. And I don't, I don't think he's a great athlete either. But, you know, late seventh round pick, that's the type of player you're probably going to get in the NFL draft anyway. Completely. And, and one thing I want to bring up here is something that CK pointed out is that it, the the BAME trade moves Chris Reed where he can possibly challenge Shaq Calhoun for, for the starting right guard job. And then something else too with Isadora is 
they got Davenport, they got Isidore, and Flores has already come out and said that, you know, Isidore and Davenport are going to be battling it for the left tackle job here this week. So there is a possibility that Davenport is just depth and Isidore ends up starting at left tackle, which I don't know if I'm a fan of, but again, it's, you know, at least it gives some competition on that side because uh, right now there is none. If you told me last year that your starting left tackle would be Danny Isadora. <laughs> but, you know, this season's about throwing you-know-what against a wall and seeing what sticks. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I'm hoping for Davenport this... still because at least I know he's got the length and I know he was raw coming into the league. Maybe you get something there. I, I don't know. We'll we'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, moving on to the defense well, ball, moving, moving this along. But, but... – Right, right. Real quick before we move on, the one thing I like is the fact that there are still some unsettled positions along the offensive line, which almost makes me like it a little bit better that they're waiting a little bit to throw Rosen into the mix because I'd like it if they get the offensive line at least settled, even if it's not going to be great, get it settled with their best five before Rosen starts taking meaningful snaps here. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me here in a couple of weeks if Evan Bame is the center and Chris Reed is the right guard. I think you got to get Chris, Chris Reed on the field. Kilgore's done a pretty good job here this preseason, and maybe Bame will be more, more of that depth guy. Agreed. And who knows? It, it may turn into a scenario, too, if Isaiah Prince continues to improve over the next week or two, where you see Isaiah, Isaiah Prince take the right tackle job and if Isadora and uh, Davenport flame out, you might be able to move uh, – I'm blanking on names all of a sudden. But you might Jesse be able to Davis. move him over to the right – Jesse right Davis there. over to left tackle, which he might be better than either of the two of them, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, we got to find the best combination. I, I see Chris Reed being on the field in one of those combinations, whether it's center – Oh, God, yeah, I all of those combinations. <laughs> I, I think Reed might be able to be a hell of a center, and and I think it's important to to be able to at least nail that at least nail one spot down here on the offensive line. Hopefully, the Dolphins can nail a couple. So we'll we'll see what happens. Defensive line, you know, let's take a look at at edge, defensive end, defensive tackle, however you want to put it. There's some interesting cuts. Tank Carradine and the Dolphins Washington end up getting cut. I I I think we've had Carradine as a lock from the beginning. Adolphus Washington, I, from everything I had heard, I thought this guy was going to be a lock, too. Don't be surprised if the Dolphins end up um, signing one of them after the first week of the season as well. But uh, the, the the players that are, that are on the roster, Charles Harris, Christian Wilkins, Davin Gottschaw, Nate Orchard, Vincent Taylor, Jonathan Ledbetter, Avery Moss, and then two late additions, Avery Moss and Trent Harris. Avery Moss is a former fifth-round pick out of Youngstown State, played with Patrick Graham. Uh, he's 6'3", 265, so does have the, the length and the size and obviously had some athleticism coming out of Youngstown, too. I, I like this pickup. And then you've got Trent Harris, who was on the practice squad, and worked with Brian Flores in New England. So you've got some ties with those last two guys. Obviously, there was something that they did not like all that much. Out of Carradine, out of out of uh, Dwayne Hendricks, who since has been re-signed to the practice squad, as well as Adolphus Washington. Any other observations here on the uh, on the defensive line, Paul? No, I think I think there there's still a few positions that are still in flux. And the fact I think there may have been a few promises to a couple of those guys at the practice squad. 
as far as that goes. With We all know that there's backdoor dealings at times to bring players back, and I don't think this roster is going to be settled in for a couple of days or even a couple of weeks. Absolutely. Let's look at linebacker, and you've got – what I like about the Kiko trade so much is that we don't have to worry about Kiko getting in there and messing – with what Sam Aguavion's got going, because I, I think this guy is a legitimate player and, and he is the type of player at his age at 26, like he and Eric Rowe on the defensive side of the ball, very important players moving forward, because if they play in the regular season, like they did in preseason, you might've filled two holes at almost no cost. So the guys that stuck were Jerome Baker, Raquan McMillan, Sam Aguavion, Andrew Van Ginkle, no surprises there. And then they end up trading for Vince, Vince Beagle, who's going to be a core special teamer, um, as he was for the Saints last year. And then they bring back an interesting name, Dion Lacey. He's a former CFL player, just like Sam Aguavion, was with the Buffalo Bills last year. And then the year before, it might, I, I believe it was the year before, Dion Lacey almost made the Dolphins 53-man roster. In fact, I thought he was going to end up making the team at that time. The Dolphins end up getting him back here at a new – under a new regime. But the big thing, Paul, too, is Trey Watson and Terrell Hanks, two players that we thought were probably going to make this roster, end up getting cut. Hanks make, ends, ended up making the 53-man roster initially, but then uh, was kicked off with all these uh, waiver acquisitions. So we'll see if, if Watson and Hanks end up being back on the practice squad. They might be at the time by the time we get this show up. Yeah, they're they're two young players that I really like. Um, they both shown a little bit on special teams too, but I think the Vince Beagle addition kind of made Hanks dispensable for now, anyhow. But I hope he does end up back on the practice squad. Squ- practice squad. I hope they both do, because they are two young, talented linebackers, and you know it, it's you can't ever have too many of those. So. Hopefully they end up on the practice squad and continue to develop and turn into players that, that get the call up. Yeah, and it's the big thing to keep in mind is we always talk about the 53-man roster. A lot of times it's a 45-man roster because that's what's active on game day. And on game day, you've got to be able to play special teams. And if the team was convinced Watson and Hanks weren't at that point yet and they're not the best athletes, then you can see why at the end they, they just barely got squeezed out the bottom of the roster. Defensive back, very interesting. You know, this was one of the positions that, that was that was fascinating as far as how it would unfold. Cordrea Tankersley ends up going on uh, on reserve here, so he's still with the team, wasn't actually cut. Might be here in a couple of weeks, but we'll, we'll t- keep an eye on that. So uh, the guys that stay, the top five are very clear. Xavier Howard, Minka Fitzpatrick, Bobby McCain, Rashad Jones, Eric Rowe, and then it's going to be interesting to see who gets on the field after that. Right now, the sixth guy appears to be Jamal Wiltz, who has some experience with this system. Uh, Jonathan Batamosi may be that sixth guy, too. He could play cornerback and safety. And Walt Akins did make the roster as a special teams guy, doesn't have a lot of positional value. And they signed two players that are, that are interesting. One is Stephen Parker, who was on the Rams practice squad last year. And another player named Ken Webster, who is a late seventh-round pick out of Ole Miss. This was a guy that was headed toward being a first- or second-round pick coming out of Ole Miss based on physical potential, then had a gruesome leg injury last year. Uh, or No, excuse me, in 2017 he had a gruesome leg injury. 
didn't quite recover all that well. Who knows if he ever will, but certainly does have the size makeup in a man-to-man scheme like this. So we'll keep an eye on Ken Webster, who currently does have a roster spot. But Paul Cornell Armstrong was a player that we were sad to see go. I mean, this is a good special teamer, and we thought somebody that was improving as a boundary cornerback. Yeah, I really liked Cornell Armstrong from from the moment that Miami got a hold of him. I mean, and it speaks volumes that, you know, as soon as he's released, he's already signed on with the Texans who had Anita Corner following uh, the trade of Batamosi. So, you know, he, he's a young, good leader um, in the secondary for his age. And hopefully, you know, I wish him the best. I really do. It's hopefully he catches on and catches fire. I was hoping it would be with Miami, but sounds like it might be somewhere else, which is, you know, at least he's still in the league because he's, he's definitely a player that's deserving of a roster spot. You bet. And he went to the Texans, of course, because, well, why not? Everybody else is going to the Texans at this point. So they should have just included him in the trade. I mean, just to beef it up a little bit from the Texan side. So special teams we've already talked about. We'll see who their long snapper is. No surprise, they keep Matt Hawk. They also keep, uh, obviously, Jason Sanders, who had a great year last year. So that's going to round out the 53-man roster. We'll see where things go from here. But the final thing, too, here is, when you look at this Laramie Tunzel trade, I look at what the Texans have done, and I think, gosh, you are – what they've done at, at the tackle spot here and on the offensive line in general this offseason is just borderline crazy. I mean, the, the resources they gave up to get the left tackle position right, and it shows also what happens when you don't get your guy on draft day. I mean, Andre Dillard, it was a poorly kept secret that he was going to be the Texans' pick at 22 – the Eagles uh, leapfrog them. And then at the 23rd pick, they end up taking Titus Howard out of Alabama state. He's not ready to play. They move him to guard. Then they end up taking Max Sharping out of Northern Illinois in the second round as well. So when you look at it, Paul, this off season, they've ended up giving what amounts to three first round picks and three second round picks for Laramie Tunzel, Titus Howard and Max Sharping to get that left tackle position right. They have. And honestly, I was thinking about it this morning, and I think I might have tweeted about it. But it's almost as if the Texans went all in on the Andrew Luck news for this season. They've really, really sacrificed a lot of their future, even though Laramie Tunzel is obviously going to be in the league for a while, barring injury but they have sacrificed so much future capital to try to take advantage of the void that the the Colts just left in the AFC South. Um, You know, it's, they basically tooled themselves to beat out the Jaguars and take the AFC South. So anybody should expect the Texans this year to, to take the AFC South. But I think they've put themselves in a scenario where you're going to see if they are not able to win it all this year, or even if they are you're going to see a team that rapidly descends because they don't have the assets to be able to restock the cupboards as people leave, which they inevitably will. Another crazy thing too, is there is no guarantee Laramie Tunzel is even going to be back with the Texans after the year. I mean, I have a pretty good idea. He will be because they gave up so much draft capital, but now you've put in, you've given all the leverage to Laramie Tunzel and his and his camp because you've got to re-sign him. He's going to ask for well over 
the highest paid left tackle in NFL history. He's, this guy is going to get $20 million a year from them. And then that starts to mess with whether or not you can keep around J.J. Watt or DeAndre Hopkins longer than, than you want to. So that'll be fascinating to see. And they also, for Jadavian Clowney, they end up getting Barkevius Mingo and Jake Martin, two not very good players from the Seahawks, and a third-round pick. But the thing is, if that's a conditional third-round pick. So if the Seahawks don't re-sign him after the year, the Seahawks get that third-round pick back. So it's, it's really crazy, not great value here for the Houston Texans moving forward. But then again, like you said, Paul, you've, you've got a small window to win in the NFL, and, and the, the Texans certainly see that over the next two years here with Deshaun Watson. So they better win the division uh, here with, with, with Deshaun Watson. That'll do it for our breakdown of the Dolphins' Laramie Tunzel trade, as well as the initial 53-man roster after the waiver pickups. I'm sure this will be fluid here over the next few days and throughout the year. You can follow Paul and I on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Check out our merch store, as well as our Twitter pages, too. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fifth side. Solo D, take us home. It ain't the left side or the right side. Then it must be the fifth side. It ain't the left side or the right side. Then it must be the fifth side. Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do again. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.